Brick Moon Fiction presents Zen's Bloody Ears by Sam French, narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. After finger-painting, the children pledged their allegiance. Their pink and purple stained digits tenderly cradled their tiny child-fist-sized hearts as they looked vaguely upward and said, Oh, I pledge allegiance to the pledge-worthy things, because I have pledged to be pledgeful to them, like that there is summer after spring, and that what must go up must come down, and there is certainty in trust, and the flag of our country, okay, or something like that. And then we read a children's book. I tuned out in that moment in class because I know there is certainty in this moment. I know there is consistency. The pattern repeats as predictably as red, blue, red, blue, red, blue, red, blue. Red, blue, red, blue. Where was I? I tuned out because it is one of the only moments I, the teacher, the disciplinarian, the guard dog of sorts or the steward depending on your metaphor of choice, can. Today I tuned out by thinking about the blades of grass and the ants that run up them. They have discipline, on which they depend. I wonder if they are aware of this discipline and if they then count on it. Kindergartners have no such discipline, and thus I count on nothing, save the pledge. During finger-painting, for instance, Rick accidentally, maybe purposefully, spilled an entire glass of paint-clouded water on Sally, and she screamed and screamed even though it was an accident, probably. And we never found out what happened at the end of the story that we read after the pledge because three penultimate pages had been ripped out by who-knows during a who-knows-when sort of time. That's just a brief list. An expanded list of how kindergartners have no such discipline sourced only from this morning could also include Wanda's scab, Jason going down the slide backwards, Martha saying a bad word, the building blocks left in the wrong compartment, the ripped-in-half stuffed animal whose cotton filling rained down on the two quarreling children. Oh, I wish they were ants. But they would be too squishable to teach and would never grow large enough to contribute to society in the way we are trusting they ultimately will. My desk phone rings on my lunch break, and I set down my crustless white bread PB&J to answer it. It's the principal. He greets me with, There is certainty in trust, and then goes on to ask me about the parent-teacher conference with Zen, timeout, which is a phrase I would use on the fields to indicate a pause in action to resolve something, or, in this case, explain something. There is certainty in trust is the motto, or slogan, or whatever, by which this classroom is run by mandate of the school, by mandate of the government, by mandate of, uh, well, yeah. It's a pillar of our society. It's a thing we pledge to and learn when we learn four-letter words and basic sentence structure. We write it on beginner's handwriting paper. My students do it daily. It's really one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. There is certainty in trust because if we do trust, it will certainly be or something. I need not worry too much about the country across the sea because I can trust our country. There's certainly no need to worry about the thunderstorm next week because I can trust the meteorologists and storm wreckage crews. I can trust that my kids will say the pledge every day so there is certainty in my ability to tune out in that one moment. My secret, however, is I do not trust this slogan and even as a child would mumble the words in the pledge, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy of its own. I, one day, aged six or seven, for a brief moment, didn't believe that there was certainty in trust, and just by doubting it once, it could never be universal again. Which is beneficial for me practically because it allows me to anticipate these kids' every moves as they have not yet actually earned my real trust. Though I should slogan trust they one day will, 
which makes me a particularly good teacher. It is difficult emotionally because I am unexpectedly anxious with men who tell me they love me. It is dangerous politically because I could be fired and ostracized and metaphorically slash maybe literally stoned. So I, time in, repeat it back to the principal. There is certainty in trust. Zen bit a little girl's ear off last week, by the way. Time out. I asked my mom once about it when I was very young, and she said we knew it was true because our country was still on top, and that we were still on top. She said history has been full of scary, scary, scary moments, but that they have come and gone and we are still the people on top, so we can just trust it to continue. She said history has taught us this, because history has been really tough, but we have persevered. There is certainty in this. Time in. They had been arguing about something petty. Zen had gotten the better of the little girl, of course, because he is freaky smart for a five-year-old. But then she pushed him lightly. Not okay, but kids will be kids. And then he bit her ear off. I watched it happen so there can be no doubt. She pushed him. He stumbled backwards, reoriented himself, gained momentum, grabbed her head, and bit her ear off. He spat it out in a bloody mess on the linoleum floor. It looked so alive still, like a lizard tail. It wasn't wiggling or anything. It had literally just been a functioning organ, and it was sad to see it there. Or like a baby bird. She screamed a little bit, but the nurse calmed her down with a sedation X and had her repeating, mantra-esque, I'm trusting the pain will stop, I'm trusting the pain will stop, I'm trusting the pain will stop. I cleaned up the mess on the floor, and Zen sat awkwardly in time out, a little bit of blood still staining his teeth. By the end of the day, they were playing kickball together. Zen seemed pleased, ultimately, and his bloody smile rubbed me the wrong way. So we set up a parent-teacher conference. I know all this, the principal said. Can you tell me about it, and specifically when you used the P-word? There were a whole lot of P-words when you were a kindergarten teacher, and I confess I don't recall using any of them with Zen's parents. Psychopath, he gruffly reminds me. Oh yeah, that one. When a child is capable of biting off another child's ear and feels no remorse and even seems pleased with their conduct overall for the day slash week, I am concerned they may have psychopathic tendencies, I admit. Where did you even learn that word? asks the principal. I have a really lovely collection of antique books that I read in my free time, which is not abnormal. No, but it also isn't normal, I remind myself, as he simultaneously does too. Zen's parents had to get out their dictionary to look it up, and they were deeply offended that you could call their son that, or suggest he had the tendencies of one. The principal sounds deeply concerned. I do think I can certainly trust that this is not going to be a fun conversation. My mind returns to the ants. I would like to watch one eat another one alive. I would like to watch it happen regularly, to the point of it being a pattern, to the point of me counting on it, to the point of the other ants counting on it. Is Zen that hundredth ant to eat another ant alive? Or is he the very first one? The other ants gather around him, staring. My mind returns to the little girl's ear on the floor, the whisper of the nurse in her one remaining ear, the other children playing around. I ask myself quickly, am I the psychopath? I don't think so. History is full of patterns, but it is also full of them breaking under their own weight. Well, it was a psychopathic act. That may be, clearing his throat, guttural, fluidy, 
but a psychopathic act does not a psychopath make. What a choice sentence. He goes on, and we are to trust that Zen will outgrow this moment, that he will, like the thousand before him, the millions, be a normal and upstanding citizen. His parents must trust us to trust that and to be there for the process. They can't think we are not trusting of that process. It just wouldn't do. We hang up after a brief discussion of how I can remedy the situation, which appears to be just go on as if nothing happened and never call him a psychopath again. I think I can operate under these limitations. Kindergartners are absolutely crazy. They pee everywhere, even if they claim to be trained to do otherwise. The linoleum is sticky from years of this sort of recklessness. They said the pledge today nice and loud, and I tried to not think of the stick underneath my shoes. I read a book last night from my antique collection. The principal did not suggest I get rid of them, after all, just I talk less of them. It was about these boats which sounded majestic, but sometimes sunk, killing the pirates or sailors or soldiers or immigrants contained within. There were black and white sketches detailing the reliability of the rigging, and there were poetic passages illustrating the tempestuous horrors that could come out of nowhere. They trusted their gods or the stars, depending on where in the world they were from. I detect a tone of irony in the way Zen says the pledge aloud today. Is irony a concept that a very intelligent kindergartner can understand or even convey subtly? Is contradiction and manipulation... He can list every dinosaur you've ever heard of in its original scientific name and in alphabetical order. He can spell eleven-letter words with confidence and precision. What else can he do? I doubted the foundations of our world at that age. Couldn't he? And how did I react? I was angry but quiet. I healed. I worked harder. I learned to trust myself, which meant I learned to value myself. I bought so many books at garage sales. Zen has bitten off one ear belonging to one ear, and perhaps it is just a growing pain. But he is clearly much smarter than I ever was. Something that warms my heart with the kids is that it does appear that I can trust their ability to forgive each other. I watch them do it daily. It is maybe a product of an otherwise troubling philosophy, but I wonder. The seemingly intentional mindless discipline hasn't yet taught them to pee in the toilet or to clean up after they play, so why would it have already taught them compassion? Perhaps these kids are just going to be okay after all. Today they put on a play they wrote themselves that ended in a horrid song they also wrote themselves about hippos and pink bathwater. Only I did find Zen several days later making bloody ears out of clay and wearing it as a necklace. It seems comical, almost. So aggressively savage. Like Lord of the Flies or a Greek myth. I asked the girl if she was sad, and she said, about what? Her titanium ear looks flesh-like. The other children do not remember the bloody ear, either. Only Zen, who recreates it with a sense of idolatry. For himself, for the violence, for it all. I make him take the necklace off, and I hide it in a cabinet in my office. At the end of the day, I go to stare at it. Maybe to break it. Maybe to take it home as a reminder of the work that is to be done. Maybe to just throw it in the trash. It is not there. It is not in the cabinet. I am 100% sure I put it in. There is a muddy mark of a small boy's shoe on one of the lower shelves, suggesting a psychopathic climbing thief. I feel very ill. I tell this to the principal this morning. I tell him Zen is a psychopath and that I do not trust his ability to change 
and he suggests another conference, grimly. At this conference, I feel like I will be the one on trial. They stare at me, displeased. They click their heels on the floor, displeased. They glanced at the principal and at me, indicating a very strong sense of displeasure. The air was palpable with this feeling. Ants died all around the earth as naturally as rainfall, a part of a great pattern. They clicked their heels as if a part of that pattern, as if willing themselves into a list that includes the sun setting, the stars dying out, the world spinning. As if an expected and thick displeasure could convince me that that list included a young boy reveling with bloody teeth in his backyard, naked, dancing, wearing only an innocent necklace he created in his playtime at class. He undoubtedly stomped on ants purposefully. They willed this to be a part of the list of normal patterns, and most importantly, they willed me to say it. The principal smiled and stirred his tea, uncomfortably clearly willing me to see the world the way the rest of them saw it. How we had been taught to see it through generations of history. He had started the conference off with the usual greeting. There is certainty and trust. The mom couldn't hide her contempt, doing everything but explicitly saying that clearly I did not believe that. I felt naked. But not savage naked. Vulnerable naked. Prove it, she said, clicking her heels. If I believe it, then I must admit Zen is not a psychopath. I must agree to let him continue on in my classroom. I trust in myself, and thus I trust in self-preservation. So I must say I agree that Zen is not a psychopath, that it was a poor choice of words uttered in frustration after a long day, that I do trust in Zen's ability to outgrow this phase, that it will come from treating him normally which includes letting him continue on in my classroom. So I say all this, and I mean it. I do let him continue on in my classroom. I trust I will regret this choice forever, maybe. Many years later, when my books have already been burnt and I have, in fact, after all, been somewhat ostracized, a young man visits me in my small home. He wears an open button-up shirt, not hiding the fact that he also wears an ugly necklace, the work of a child. I recognize it, and he knows it. He asks to come in for tea. We drink the tea in silence. Silently, we mutually agree to burn our tongues. We feel pain together. I don't know what I should do in this moment. They don't look so much like ears anymore, the items on the necklace, but I know what they once represented. Are you surprised to see me? I nod. I always liked you. I am surprised. You look as if you are surprised. I always liked that you also saw that the world was bullshit. I liked that you could see it in me, too. It felt like a secret we shared between ourselves. I am genuinely surprised that this is how he remembers our relationship, and I tell him so. Secrets can be built on fear. Relationships can be built on fear. All my best ones have always been. When I met someone who does not fear me, they are too stupid to have a relationship with. They are just cattle, like the other kids, like that principal, like my parents. You do not have a relationship with the cows you are raising for the slaughter. Do you trust me? I shake my head. He moves so quickly. As he walks away, he says with his blood-stained smile, You should trust me. I should be the one thing you trust. You were so right, and they will know it soon. I can't hear him perfectly. Everything is fuzzier. 
Sam French is a writer and director located in Brooklyn. Originally from Florida, he is a recent graduate of Carnegie Mellon University. His plays have been produced in Pittsburgh, Florida, Martha's Vineyard, and New York. His short story, A Love Letter to the Boys of Summer, won the Adamson Award for Fiction at CMU. Sam was named a top 20 artist under 25 in the Tampa area by Creative Loafing Magazine and has two one-acts published by Baker's Plays. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.